Welcome to the podcast of Inspiring Women in Hospitality. I'm Noreen Ahmed, your host. Each episode, I invite a woman from the hospitality industry to share her story with us, why she got into hospitality, her journey so far, her learnings, and who inspires her. On today's episode, we hear from Ann Aerosmith, originally recorded in September 2020. What an inspirational conversation with quotes from Somerset Maugham and Shakespeare. But I think my favorite quote from this episode was, Conan, you think too loud. And we're now recording. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Anne, for being with us today. So Anne and I were on a women's panel together a couple of weeks ago. And of course, I had to reach out to her and ask for more because I wasn't satisfied by just hearing a five-minute overview of her life story. <laughs> and thank you so much for being on here today to share more with us. Well, that's very kind of you, and I hope I'm not going to disappoint you. Um, okay. <laughs> I think five minutes of my life is, is probably as much as anybody wants to know. <laughs> no, 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 definitely. I was so curious after. I was like, oh my God, I need to know more. <laughs> Well, I hope there is more. There definitely um, is. So, yeah. and uh, for those who didn't listen to the women's panel, um, start with a little intro. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and where you are currently at the moment as well. Right. Well, um, presently I'm in Bangkok in Thailand. Um, I returned to Thailand about five years ago. Um, previously, I, I, I had worked with Four Seasons at what was then the Four Seasons Hotel. And moved with Four Seasons to Singapore and was there for some 11 years. Um, so I came back in, gosh, what was it, five years ago, um, having left Four Seasons um, to work for a, an independent hotel company, which had just two hotels. Um, and the property I joined was in Chiang Mai. Um, I was GM there for, for five years and, and still hold that post. But now I'm actually um, running the two properties. So I divide my time between Bangkok and Chiang Mai. Um, I've taken on the, the role of group general manager. And um, the plan was that as a company, um, we would be looking for expansion both inside Thailand and, and within Asia um, to grow the company. But those plans are a little bit paralyzed because of COVID and the general business situation. So um, I'm spending about 75% of my time here in Bangkok and 25% um, in, in Chiang Mai. So I, it's an easy commute. It's one hour. And at times I actually drive back into. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a good road trip. It is nice. And it is beautiful along that. Yeah, going up to the north is very nice in Thailand. Yeah. Um, Thailand has wonderful roads. <laughs> Sorry? It's very similar to my background. <laughs> it, yeah, absolutely. Not the, what's my background? It's a picture. Um, no, the, there are fabulous roads in Thailand, so it's very easy to do a road trip. And oh, but if I had more time, I would be discovering more of the country because there are some absolutely beautiful locations and, and much to discover. And, um, but you're not Thai yourself, are you? No, I come from um, the country that you're calling me from. I was born uh, just on the Welsh-English border on the 
on the Welsh side of, of Chester and, and that, um, that Cheshire uh, Welsh border and grew up in a very small uh, place which actually was not big enough to be called a village. It was called Cross Lanes, still it's called Cross Lanes. A little bigger now. Um, <laughs> when I was there, there was probably, it's a hamlet probably, no more than 30 houses in total. Um, now it has become a little more congested, um, but still only has one shop. Um, used to have a hotel and, and a pub, but those have fallen victim. So um, yeah, I came from, from a, a very rural area, um, you know, where going to the seaside was a, was a big adventure. So, so for me, I, I, you know, I, I guess I grew up a little bit with, with the advent of television and everything in those days was American TV. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I always had this, this wanderlust to, to see a little bit more of the world than, than, than just the small corner that I grew up in. Well, that must have, I mean, I think this is one thing that I find in common with, you know, most people working in hospitality, they're often, they want to know more, they're always eager to learn, they, they're very curious. Uh, and I think that seems to be a common commonality that we all have. So then how did you go from, yeah, your little corner in Wales to, <laughs> to ending up in the Four Seasons? Or like, why did you, or how did hospitality find you? Or did you find hospitality how did you know that was the way that you were going to see the rest of the world? Well, I, you know, it was somewhat of a circuitous route, but, um, you know, my, my adventures were initially in my mind and, and through reading. So I was, I was an avid reader when I was small, um, you know, and, and, and back in the day, and you can tell how old I am because when we did get television, I think there were just two channels, um, you know, the BBC and one other. So... <laughs> <laughs> it's not like today where you can tune in anywhere in the world and, and, and you know, take yourself anywhere. Um, so I, my imagination really grew through, through reading. And I, and I believe I shared when we were on the panel together that, you know, during the, the summers, I, I would, I, I, my tastes were eclectic, but during the summers it would be more relaxed reading. And I discovered Agatha Christie mm. and <laughs> and Agatha Christie actually was for those of us because we're talking about women is somebody that really needs a little more research and 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 more admiration because um, you know people might just say oh she was a somewhat of a frivolous um, writer of mysteries but um, when she did start out writing and, and in her career she actually has reputedly sold more than 4 billion books, which is, that's a billion with a B. Mm-hmm. And just to put that in context, um, you know, we think of JK Rowling's today, um, she has sold just a mere 50 million. So Agatha Christie, um, actually she studied, she studied pharmacy a little bit. So um, part of that, that education that she had gave her an insight into into chemicals and poisons and um, played a part in her book. So, um, and her books were always set in neatly controlled circumstances. So you had death on the Nile, you know, mm-hmm. so it was a, a confined space. You had murder on the Orient Express, it was a confined space. Um, 
Bertram's at the murder at Bertram's hotel. They were always sort of always quite elegant, which was rather appealing. Um, you know, as is the Orient Express today. You know, it still has that nostalgia and that that aspirational luxury. So, so I traveled vicariously with Agatha Christie and, and with others, and and um, you know, I jokingly said I I could have been I could have been a uh, a life of crime or. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or travelers, and I, I sort of opted for the other because I wasn't courageous enough for a life of crime. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a. Th those are two very different choices, aren't they? But um, as you opted, could have, for, they could have both taken me around the world. They could have because if you yeah. went for a life of crime, you would have been on the run most of the time, so you would have to be <laughs> <laughs> traveling around. Yeah, and you know, talking about. Um, about reading because um, you know Somerset Maugham is a very colorful author and I was just looking at something um, the other day a because he he traveled mm. throughout um, Southeast Asia and was a, um, a frequent guest at the the um, Orient um, Hotel oh, here in yeah, the uh, Mandarin Oriental here in Bangkok. And he actually went up to Chiang Mai as well and um, was not terribly well received because his reputation preceded him. He, he, he very much wrote about characters that he met and he, he somewhat embellished their flaws and diminished their attributes, you know. So, he, so most people recognized a little bit of themselves in the book and it was never terribly flattering. But when I was I was looking at this because the Jim Connor Club uh, was founded by the one and there were uh, thirteen founding members, but one of them was the first manager of um, the Borneo Company, which had its headquarters in a tight teak homestead, which now forms the 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 heart of 137 Pillars um, Hotel in, oh. in Chiang. Oh. So I was doing I was doing some research because I'm I'm putting together a little bit of a museum under that house. So that house was preserved. It's it's now the the, the heart of our hotel with a bar and a restaurant and uh, an open air parlor. Um, and it's quite beautiful. It was built in 18 about 1889. Mm -hmm. And the first, the first manager of the Borneo Company was a chap called Lewis Leon Owens. And Lewis happened to be the son of Anna, who was made famous in Anna and the King, or The King and I. Ah, oh, yeah. wow. okay. So in, in, in sort of putting this together, um, and I, I spend, when I'm, not, when I'm not doing my daytime job, I, I sort of do research about the Borneo Company, about the managers that that um, most of them hailing from the UK, um, all of them larger than life characters, um, and about that that sort of part of history in Northern Thailand that was very much connected with with travel and trade. Anyway, Somerset Maugham um, visited the Gymkhana Club which was founded by Lewis Leon Owens together with um, 
12 other expats that were in Chiang Mai. And I came across this thing which he said, um, Somerset Maugham said that I'm often tired of myself and I have a notion that by travel, I can add to my personality and so change myself a little. And he then goes on to say, I do not bring back from a journey quite the same self that I took. And I just think, I think that for most of us, that's what travel does. Absolutely. You've you've said it a lot, or Somerset Mon said it more beautifully than I ever did. Well, yeah, you know, I think those who who have a way with words have a capacity to say so much in in so few words. Mm-hmm. And I think it was I think it was George Bernard Shaw who, in writing a letter to a friend, said, "Had I have had more time." I would have written less. Mm. Yes, very apt. And my <laughs> my my so I ramble I ramble on and on. No, and I on. love it. No, to be honest, <laughs> I love it. And and I was just thinking, reflecting on that. I'm like, this is why when my father first said his hopes for me was to be a reporter. I knew very early on I was never going to be one because I never had a good way with words. My expertise was more with numbers. <laughs> Ah, well, sometimes, you know, it's quite surprising. Sometimes we don't recognize our expertise. Yeah. It took me a while to um, acknowledge my expertise. I'm still searching for mine. (laughs) (laughs) But going back to the travel, you're absolutely right. I do feel like every... the more you travel, the more you meet and the more that you you know, get exposed to different environments, cultures, people, it just opens up your mind. Like I was very fortunate growing up in multiple different countries from a young age that I just, I never accepted, okay, this is the way it always is. Like I was always like thrown into a different situation and every time was a very different culture, like from Bangkok to Hong Kong to Japan. And you're just like, and then your own background, you know, your family's from Bangladesh and Switzerland, you have that mix coming in. So I knew very early on that I was going to be in an environment that had to be very multicultural, that had to be very diverse. And that kind of led me towards my hospitality career in the end. Well, I, yes. And I guess, you know, that, that, that desire to, to move away from home, but I never really, you know, you never really move far from home. Um, so I might have traveled, um, you know, fairly extensively, but I'm very much grounded back in, in the UK. Okay. So do you come back to the UK? I mean, when you say grounded to the UK, is it because you spend time here or you just feel that's where your roots are? Or? Family uh, and, and roots. Uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate because my father is 99. And um, I, in the typical year, I would, I would be back about three times just to, to visit with family and sure. check on him. Um, I was there in January and then, you know, now it's a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. So um, thankfully we have, we have FaceTime and we have Zoom. So, you know, again, very different from, from when I started traveling. Um, you know, you, you, those of us that you know did the the gap year and took took a year around the world. Um, number one, you, you couldn't even think to telephone back home. It was too expensive. 
<laughs> oh, it was just prohibitively expensive. I mean, and the connection was horrible. You couldn't yeah. hear anything. You know, you'd say hello, hello. And then the operator would say that would be another, yeah. <laughs> whatever, many, whatever. And you'd just say, are you okay? And then somebody say, I can't hear you. <laughs> and that would be it. <laughs> so, <at> now. <laughs> so now we're connected wherever we are. It's, it's, you know, it's progress. No, I, I think it's incredible. I, I've, I've really, you know, whilst we've been going through this crisis, I've, I've actually found that through technology, I've been able to make a lot more connections um, than I've ever been able to make before. Like, I don't think I would have yes. ever met you <laughs> without doing the women's panel. <laughs> no, and we probably wouldn't have done that, but for the fact that, you know, people are trying to find content and, and, and perhaps some commonality in terms of, okay, you know, what, where is the end game for, for the, the plight we find ourselves in? Yeah, that's still, that's still unknown. Um, very much, yes. So you said you spent 11 years with the Four Seasons, or was it Singapore for 11 years? I was Singapore for 11 years. With Four Seasons, I was um, about 25 years in total. Oh, wow. So what yeah, did you do then? <laughs> I started in Los Angeles in sales. And um, I, I was part of the acquisition when Regent International Hotels were acquired by Four Seasons. Um, so along with fixtures and fittings and assets and liabilities. <laughs> a couple of people as well. <laughs> yeah, there were a couple of us who, who made the, the, the crossover. So, yeah, um, that's how I, I was with Regent International Hotels. Um, you know, a, a stunning hotel company, um, quite small in, in, in size, but, but absolutely massive in terms of stature. It was, it was um, a very admirable company to work with and for. And at the time that I was with them, we had 10 hotels, um, essentially in Asia, and we had five under development. Um, so the company was actually having a growth spurt. Um, what happened in terms of acquisitions, Four Seasons acquired it, and as, you know, the victor and the vanquished, um, the name Four Seasons was put on those hotels that were about to open. So what was to be the Regent in Bali became the Four Seasons in Bali. What was to be the Regent in Milan became the Four Seasons Milan. What was to be the Regent in New York on 57th became Four Seasons. Um, and Jakarta didn't quite open at, at that time. So, and then as a consequence of, of the purchase, Regent somewhat shrank a little bit um, because it lost Auckland, um, the Regent Auckland and the Regent in Melbourne um, because the, the owners had an opportunity if there was a, a change in management to, to with, withdraw. So, so Regent, um, interestingly enough, went from being really one of the, 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 the true luxury Asian hotel companies to becoming a little bit confused and to this day it's gone through many metamorphoses for four seasons determined to to focus on the on the four seasons brand 
they sold it to Carlson, Carlson sold it to um, or the owner of the owner of the Grand Formosa Taipei, Stephen, Stephen, somebody or Stephen Pan. And latterly Stephen Pan sold it to Intercom. So so that company is it's changed it's quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. So that's how I joined Four Seasons. And um, I, I was in um, LA in regional sales. And then um, actually very much wanted to move on property. And today, I mean, that, that just seems such a, an easy move to make from, from, from regional sales to on property sales. But back in that, in that day, nothing was was quite so easy you know i four seasons as wonderful as a company it was it it, it really had quite a, a structured mindset and a, and a very a very set um, philosophy on how you move from from one discipline to another or how you were promoted so um i just kept hitting my head against a brick wall whenever I said I want to move from from regional sales to on property sales and eventually I grew a bit tired and said okay I, I decided to leave them and um, lo and behold what happened as soon as I'd given my resignation and they offered me to be the director of sales at what was going to be the Four Seasons in Goa Wow. Okay. Mm. There we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, it was. It was one of those interesting moments, actually, and and one of those light bulb moments because I had resigned. I I got another job that I was going to. And and that job actually was working for Ian Schrager of oh. Studio Fifty Four fame. Yeah. He had oh, he was opening up the Mondrian in Los Angeles. Yeah. And um, I was asked to go. And work at the Mondrian, where, you know, contrary to everything that Ian did, which was to hire people, um, really a bit like the casting couch, within sales, he he had he had people like me who knew what they were doing. He was smart enough with sales. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so I was heading towards um, Mondrian, but got this got this call from Hong Kong from the the head of marketing, regional head of marketing based in Hong Kong, his name was Duffy Keys. And he called me up and, and said, Anne, you know, I know you want to go to India, so I'm offering you Goa. And it was kind of late in the evening for me. I think it was about seven o'clock my time, uh, still working. And, I, and I, I just said, Duffy, I'm going to repeat what I think you said to me because I've been waiting for this for a long time. <laughs> So I just want to make certain that what you said is what I heard and, we, and I understood the same thing. So he said, yes, I'm offering you that job. And I said, well, I will call you tomorrow. So I rushed home and I had a very good friend staying with me and he cooked dinner. And I, we sat down to dinner and I said, I can't wait to tell you, Chris, I've just been offered my dream job. So he said, well, you can't possibly take it. Oh, why not? It's <laughs> exactly what I said. I said, why ever not? He said, because Anne, 
you have given your word to somebody else ah. and you're not the sort of person who who doesn't fulfill a commitment mm. and if you allow you know this this rather late offer to influence you four seasons can say oh you just need to know which buttons you need to press with Anne and you'll get it to do anything and I thought you're absolutely right it mm. was the right it was the absolute right offer but it was the wrong timing mm. and I had committed to this other company so I called them back and and said thank you very much um, you know this was my dream um, and then I had a few other calls to sort of try and persuade me. And I, and I just said, look, you know, I, I can't predict whether this move is the right move for me or not the right move for me. However, I'm honest enough to say if it doesn't work, you know, it didn't work, but I'm going to give it a try. Anyway, I, I ultimately came back to four seasons. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was actually, for me, it was a very good life lesson. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, you, you just need that clarity by, yeah. by taking a little bit of time, stepping back and, 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 and thinking of it from more than just, this is what I want. So that's really, really true. It's, <laughs> I, I like what you said there, like, you know, making the commitment that you made and you know sticking to that and also giving that another try as well or not another try give it a try in the first place before you say no to it right that's exactly right and and you know and i and it's amazing how how at times even though you know i think i'm i'm principled and what have you but you know sometimes you know the devil is a charming man <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> we are charmed by what we want to hear. So it's it's good just to be brought back down to ground and to thy own self be true. And it's so important to have that, you know, that your friend played that role in your life at that point to be your mirror in some ways, right? And to ask you that question and just to, you know, have someone that you can just talk to and reflect with. Yeah, I mean, I, I just expected an absolute endorsement, and of course yeah. you should. <laughs> it was like, really? <laughs> That's not exactly what I was wanting to hear. But it was, it was the right thing to hear. And um, have you had any other moments like this where you had another friend kind of challenge you and say, are you sure this is the right thing you should be doing? Oh, good question. Um, I'm certain I have. It, 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 I, I would say, as I think on that, uh, and I'll come back to you with an answer, the, the greatest success in my life, really, are the, are the family and friends that I have. Mm. Because with without exception, the friends that I have, I would trust them with my life, with my bank account, with anything. And I've never, I've never had a crossword with them. That's wonderful. Yeah, you know, that's in, 
in an environment where everybody's sort of always arguing and falling out and <laughs> and getting caught up in things that are not not important. I, I, I think it's it's a tribute to them and and I'm very that's one thing I'm I'm very proud of that that I have lifetime friends. Mm. And these lifetime friends, did you, they're from the UK or have you picked them up along the way? Well, I actually picked them up along the way in many ways. Yes. Um, you know, from, I just, but still from school, but, but along the way. Um, yeah. No, I so, do. I agree few, with that. Few in Australia, few in, few in the States, few in the oh, UK. Absolutely. And, and, and good friends here in in thailand as well um you know that and it was i was 11 years working in singapore mm -hmm. before i came back to thailand so you know, i've been back now five years so you know i've, I've got 20-year friendships here from the first time that i worked with four seasons in, in bangkok and, and and one i i i don't know if i i mentioned this when we were on the on the the women in hotels call but um I was, I'd been in Bangkok for possibly about two months and, and as part of the executive committee, um, we'd just come out of a department head meeting and I was walking with, her name is Kunwanamata, I was walking with Kunwanamata who, who was head of HR. And I walked very fast and she walks quite slowly and quite deliberately and I talk quite fast and she talks quite slowly and quite deliberately. So she... I, I adjusted my pace of walking to hers and she goes, Kun Anne. And I knew she was going to tell me some great words. And I go, Kun Mormat. And she goes, Kun Anne, you think too loud. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I'm like, but that, you know, I'm not that smart. So I had to think about that for a few minutes. <laughs> and as soon as I registered what she was telling me, because we'd just come out of this department head meeting, and I possibly, I possibly was the only expat at the table besides the general manager. Engineering, finance, um, HR. So I was sales, food and, bev food and beverage was, was an expat as well. So there were, you know, mainly ties, but three expats. And I had responded or given my viewpoint. And so I said, well, whatever I talked about in the meeting, I said, may I ask you a question? Are the remarks that I said in the meeting, are they accurate? And she said, yes, they are. I said, okay, that's good to hear. And I said, and were they in any way offensive? And she said, no, they were not. So I said, well, were they on topic? And were my views appropriate to the conversation? So she said, yes. I said, well, can one of them? I will continue to think loud. <laughs> but if I'm ever inappropriate, or if I'm ever inaccurate, you call me on it. 
So if I ever have a, a, an epitaph and a gravestone, which I doubt that I will, it will have on it, Kun An, you thought too loud. Um, and on that, have you always uh, thought too loud? No, not at all. <laughs> no, no. My mother, I think, said to, said of me that she thought she'd be taking me to school until I was fifteen. <laughs> I think I was the most timid individual, the most timid child growing up. Yeah, I find, somehow find that hard to believe. No, it, it was true. True. So how did, yes. you, how did you how did you become uh, louder? <laughs> <laughs> um, because I think along the, the way, I, I encountered a few jerks. <laughs> okay, there we go. Yeah, who whose behavior I just thought was totally unacceptable, mm. and. You know, in life, you can you can sit back and you can just play dumb like half America is doing at this point in time. Or you can speak out and speak up. And, and honestly, I think I think if anybody's listening to this, I, I would just say we have an obligation mm. to speak up and to speak out because... I just think that there are atrocious things happening. Mm. So, <laughs> well, you know, and that's a whole other subject. But, but I think the divisiveness that is happening in the world, you know, big money, big pharma, big business, it, it, it's all it's all been a bit of an illusion. Mm -hmm. True. Speak up and speak out. And I have an American passport, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I can speak up and speak out. <laughs> you absolutely can. Um, and um, not to to digress too much uh, because we could probably spend another hour talking about that. Uh, just to bring it back, like as you were going through your career and you know getting through sort of the leadership positions, did you find yourself often being the only woman, or was that never something that you noticed as you were um, moving through your career? You know, I never took or paid much attention to that. Mm -hmm. I, I never, and I think partly because my grandfather had a, a wonderful saying that, you know, always consider yourself as good as somebody else, but never consider yourself better. Mm. So I thought, you know, that that was that was a wonderful foundation. Um, certain things did seem to take more time and, and I think that's just because of the time the time in which I found myself in in you know in, in history um and, and I think really it isn't that much different now <laughs> you know most things are male dominated 
Now, I will, having said that, I will say that Four Seasons as a company had remarkably talented women mm. in their senior positions. And, and, you know, one, I mean, many, many stand out, but, but the um, chief marketing officer was a lady by the name of Barbara Talbot. And my, what an intellect and what, what an example she was. And still is. I mean, she's consulting. She's got her own consulting company now. Um, she was with Four Seasons for, well, I think, just under 20 years. Mm. Uh, but brilliant. And, you know, and Katie Taylor was, was head of legal. Um, so if you looked at PR, if you looked at marketing, if you looked at design and development, there were there were a considerable number mm. of women at the helm at Four Seasons in a corporate office. Now, when it came to, to general managers, mm -hmm. there were not that many in my day. I, mean, I, I can remember when there was only one. And there aren't that many more now, um, which... You know, maybe the statistics in hospitality are no different to the statistics in, in other industries. Perhaps not. And I mean, for me personally, I knew when I was sort of, you know, going through my education and thinking about, okay, where am I going to go? I never even occurred to me to think that I should be a GM because I thought that there were no female GMs, so maybe it's just not a role for women. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I never... I wanted to be a GM uh, in Four Seasons, and I, you know, I I'd asked for that to see how we could change disciplines, and and that wasn't again at the time it wasn't easy. They're much more flexible now in terms of not siloing people into you know if you're in finance you're in finance, if you're in marketing you're in marketing, if you're in food and beverage the world is your oyster because you can be a general manager, and that's that's why most of the GMs arose from it was either from rooms division or food and beverage but the majority from food and beverage um, so that's changed a little and uh, maybe not fast enough but you know we're getting there and then if you Sorry. think about it if your background was in food and beverage you probably didn't have a lot of women working in food and beverage because the hours are just are not great for that no, I, I was out, the, the, our executive chef um, in Bangkok had wanted to show me a couple of restaurants. So um, we went out the other evening and um, my club days are long gone, but we, we went to a restaurant which the restaurant owns a bar and, you know, so they, they, they sort of, they just share shift their market you know you you eat in the restaurant you go to their bar and then you go from their bar and they have a club mm -hmm. and i was sitting in the restaurant and just looking at these people and how hard it is mm -hmm. and how long the hours are and how it doesn't stop once the guests you know the, or the the patrons have left the restaurant you've got the cleaning up to do in the setting yeah. i thought oh my god i'm exhausted just looking at it it truly is long hours, hard physical work, and you know, and not 
the most glamorous and not the best paid either. Unfortunately, still not. Although no. I, I think it's a very, um, yeah, it's a bit of an undeserving industry, isn't it? They do so much and take such good care of you. I mean, particularly during this pandemic, they're, you know, all the people working in, in the restaurants and the kitchens, they're the one who kept us fed. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's amazing what, what can perhaps recalibrate our, our value system. And, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether that's retained after we spring back to normal or not. And, and you know, we, we never truly have valued those that, that we depend on so much. You know, we underpay teachers, we underpay nurses, we underpay people in hospitality, we overpay bankers, we, you know, I mean, there's, there's just no equity in it at all. Some rebalancing hopefully will happen in the future. Yeah. And then um, you said earlier you wanted to be a GM. Like, how did you know you wanted to be that? Like, what, what got you there? I th well, I would say my interest was, was very much because going back to what I said before, that, that disciplines were very much siloed and, and you were not invited to provide an opinion outside of your discipline. And I just found that remarkably narrow and, and, and frustrating because, you know, to my observation, innovation comes from outside the industries that should be responsible for innovation. And, and you can think of a, you know, the credit card was not invented by bankers. Mm. Um, the computer was not a product of the typewriting company. Airbnb was not thought out by, by hoteliers. Mm -hmm. Grab taxi didn't come about by, you know, the London cab. And, I, and I've always found it absolutely limiting to put people into boxes and not get a viewpoint from outside. So I think possibly my interest was because I wanted a larger voice. <laughs> I wanted to think louder. <laughs> Kun Anne, you think loud. <laughs> I do. And I have to tell you, you know, leaving Four Seasons, um, Look, at the time that I decided to do that, it was, it was no risk for me because I, it, if it hadn't worked, I could very easily and nicely retired. But in working for privately owned company and being just a phone call away from the owners, mm -hmm. I can't tell you how trusting they have been. I mean, that I, I had been at, at, in Chiang Mai for, I would say, little more than three months. Mm -hmm. And I happened on two occasions to be with some guests as they're checking out and as they're going through their folio. Um, on these two occasions, the guest said, oh, it says Jack Bain's bar. And, and we didn't go to the bar. 
Well, I couldn't blame them for thinking that they hadn't been to the bar because Jack Bain's bar, as we called it, didn't have a bar in it. It was, it was like a library. Uh. So <laughs> I said to the owners, I would like to put a bar in Jack Bain's bar. And they say, okay, go ahead and do it. So I was able to work with um, a, a designer that, that I got to know. And I presented a return on investment, which I said would be two years. Within five months, we'd had a return on investment. Now, if I'd have said that, you know, in my Four Seasons days, they would have they would just said, we're designers, we do the designing, we're, you know, we're development, we do the development. Just don't think. <laughs> well, it's nice that you're having this new experience as well now where... <laughs> Later life, yes, that I can, <laughs> I can do these things. I guess that also goes to show you really never know what you're going to get later on in life, isn't it? Look, I mean, to, to those who think and are a little bit impatient about, about wanting everything to be settled and done and dusted, you know, you, you look at McDonald's. Mm. Um, McDonald's, Ray Kroc, who started McDonald's, well, he didn't start McDonald's, he, he identified a very good hamburger at a joint called McDonald's and thought, gosh, if somebody can do this once, we can replicate this, you know, multiple times and he was he was not far off 60 when he did that. you know so so i think that for me i haven't perhaps had a a, a very strategic approach to to my career but it's worked out just fine for me that sounds wonderful. And you're in a beautiful country surrounded by wonderful friends as well, it sounds like. Yes, very good friends. Who I'm still talking loud. Still talking loud. And I just actually had a, an email from Kunwanamat just before I came on the line. So, yes, we're still very, very good friends. Good to hear. And yes, as you said, good friends is, is, is important to have in your life to be surrounded by good friends. Yeah, uh, because they, 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 they do act as a sort of a, as a compass and a, and a conscience. Absolutely. They sure do. And I'm very grateful for the friends that I've made along the way as well. And yeah, they, they, they're, um, what's the word? Invaluable. Yes. Yeah. And I'm going to go on to my last question because I could obviously keep talking to you, but I will, I will ask my <laughs> question. <laughs> and it is, it is wine time here, it don't forget. It is wine time, indeed. <laughs> uh, although you did mention Agatha Christie at the beginning, who obviously inspired yeah. you and, you know, got you into the traveler mindset. Um, is there anyone else you would like to mention in terms of who inspires you? Um, well, I mentioned Barbara Talbot. Uh, in terms of marketing, um, in terms of general managers that I truly admire and, and was very grateful to work with them, um, two, Olivia Masson, who I worked with in Jakarta at, at the Four Seasons, 
um, and um, Ricardo Acevedo, who I worked with in Singapore. And very different in, in, in terms of personality. Um, passion, no, they were absolutely, they shared the same, same DNA with passion, but had very, very different personalities. Um, so I learned a lot from both of them. Well, thank you so much for sharing and thank you so much for being so open and sharing so much uh, with me and and for everyone else who will be listening in um, to hear from you and learn from you. I'm definitely walking away super inspired, so I'm sure the others will too. <laughs> well, I hope to see you in Bangkok sometime soon. I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> I can take you to the nightclub. <laughs> Call Sing Sing. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Anne. <laughs> okay. Well, enjoy Sunday. I will. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you were as inspired as I was by that story. Please follow us here and on LinkedIn where I post videos of the recordings. Stay tuned for many more stories of inspiring women in hospitality. Thank you.